What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I'm here in New York City right now. Not gonna lie, just got off the plane in an Uber on my way to the hotel because Wolfpack's got four nights, the Schwitz experience this weekend in New York City. Eight shows over four days. I'm stoked for this. We got some fun special guests. We got a good time. It's just great to be in New York City. It's just, it's just a wonderful place. I'm also excited because today on the show, we got Charlie Hunter. Charlie is one of my absolute favorite players of all time. He's got such a unique approach to playing the guitar. And if you're not familiar, you basically just need to go look up videos of him or something right now. He's got something that's very interesting and unique that he does with bass strings and electric guitar strings all on the same instrument. Two different types of pickups with two input jacks. One goes to a bass amp, one goes to an electric guitar amp. It is so dope. He sounds like two people when he's playing. Now, for those of you that already know about Charlie, I kind of start off the interview talking about this stuff because I think some people just don't know how or why it is that he came up with the thing that he does. But honestly, it is super compelling and really amazing. I'll tell you this, one of my favorite just jam sessions I've done of all time. Gosh, I wish there was a recording of this somewhere. It was Eric Gales, Charlie Hunter, and myself, and Jordan Rose playing drums. We sat and just jammed for like two and a half straight hours in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. We were just hanging. Gales and I switching off between lead stuff and also just like playing rhythm stuff. Charlie just holding down the low end bass line and comping. It was so dope we just sat in the pocket for like there was one tune i think we just played a groove for 35 straight minutes and we were all just oh, oh, uh, yeah. you know all the noises that you make when everything's going great so charlie is one of my favorite people one of my favorite players i'm so excited to have him on the podcast let's get to it charlie hunter hey you guys know about distro kid yet if you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so, with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount, and DistroKid takes 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. Or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing, it works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you want to use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out, DistroKid. All right, let's hit this episode. Charlie, thanks so much for being on the podcast, bro. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Man, it's so good to see you here. It's been a minute, and we've, we've got a lot to catch up on, but I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a long time. Oh, man, thank you. Dude, you are one of my favorite guitar players in the world. You are a singular voice, and we got to get into it because cats, cats watch what you do, are confused by it, and then try it, and are just like, I, yeah. And and you watch <laughs> me try to figure it out. I so I I just want to start off for those that aren't that are listening to this that aren't familiar with Charlie's work. It's this two. It's a hybrid guitar. I think literally is the name, but it's there's a bass pickup and regular guitar pickup, and some of it is bass strings, some of it is guitar strings, and it's bass and guitar parts all at once. Charlie. How did you, where did this concept, I mean, dude, this thing is so dope. I remember hearing the first records of you doing this thinking, there's no way that this is one cat. Oh man. Well, you know, it, it, I mean, I, well, thanks man. And you did a pretty damn good job. Actually. I remember you were hanging at the house and playing and I was like, all right, Corey, fuck you. But, oh, I'm sorry. You're going to have to take that out. Um, yeah. You know, man, I mean, honestly, you know, I came up in a real guitar centric environment and 
there was always this connection to to like guitaristic stuff, you yeah. know, like all the old blues stuff that my mom listened to from the twenties. That's all self accompanied. Um, I got really into Joe Pass, really into Tuck Andrus. Um, and then I was a street musician in Europe for three or four years. Yeah. Um, and so I really got, I got pretty self-sufficient on just a, I guess, a regular six string guitar. And then when I got to a point where I could get a, like a, you know, I just kept experimenting. I had a seven string for a while with like a low A, um, on it. Um, and then I just kept expanding on it. And I also played acoustic bass on the street as a street musician. I, ah. so I played a lot of bass and also, you know, um, I started playing drums. That was my first instrument. Yeah. So I guess it all kind of added up to this thing. And to be honest, man, I just was messing around with this stuff. And, you know, I mean, probably just wanted attention and uh, who knows, but, I, you know, I just wanted this feel. I guess I just had a feel in my head. Yeah. Um, and I just kept going for it. And then I had that guy, Ralph Novak, make me this eight string one, which kind of was a mistake in a lot of ways because it's just too hard to play. Sure. Um, and then I started developing that. And the only reason I went with an eight string was because it's just like it was a real reptile brain thinking like, OK, I can look at it. And the low strings are E A D, and the high strings are A D G B E. So my reptile guitar bass brain can get around <laughs> just the idea. Yeah. And you know, then I had a career before I knew it. And I'm like, oh man, now what the hell do I do? I have to keep doing this, you know. Um, and then also it coincided with the fact that, like, you know, when I had this great band with Jay Lane and Dave Ellis, and we got signed to Blue Note Records and all this stuff, that was an era in the mid nineties where chopping out was really de rigueur. Like you could not, not do that. And yeah. it really was not my thing, but I was just like, okay, yeah. I guess I gotta, you know, be the hot girl for a minute and see, see what I could do. But anyway, I appreciate it. And it just keeps on evolving. And, you know, thankfully I get to wake up and try to push the boulder up the hill another day, you yeah. know? Well, let's just dive into some of the mechanics of it. I mean, I, I, I in some ways, regretted asking that question first because I'm sure you get asked that all the time. But I no, know but there's a lot fine. of people. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are listening that are like, oh, what? That might not be familiar. So they, I, I like have to get them familiar with what you do because it, otherwise, it's just there. It needs to be the jumping point. But I'm curious when you watch people try to replicate your thing, where do you see them? What's the most common mistake you see? Well, trying to do too much um, and trying to try worrying too much about independence and not worrying enough about interdependence, mm. like not thinking of the two parts or whatever they are as one part. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, and that's something that took me years and years to really get together. Mm -hmm. uh, and still, I'm still. I'm lucky enough to play with great, great drummers all the time. And it's, and you know, all I want to do is just be a part of an extension of, of their beat, yeah. whoever I'm playing with. And, and that's the most important part. And everything has to take a backseat to that. So a lot of times you sort of think, no, it's interdependence. And also just, um, you know, it's, it can be a lot of pressure. And I see people really tensing up, you know, physically, yeah. you know what I mean? And, uh, and really the crazy thing is the people who I would say would be the best people to do this for off the bat would be a drummer, honestly. Yeah. And then a bass player and then a guitar player, because as a guitar player, because I'm a guitar player, like I play a lot of six string guitar and I still have that in my mind as well as, you know, playing a lot of four string bass and you know, the mentalities are different. So yeah. for a guitar player, guitar player gets on it and they're like, oh man, I'm used to my fast four-cylinder turbo car that can corner and do all this stuff and then you get on this and you're like wait a minute i'm driving this deuce and a half semi truck for dhl and i really can't make any sudden movements you know <laughs> what do i do now you yeah. know so anyway that's that's about totally. it but it's weird man it's just a weird thing it's so cool and it's so it's so much your thing too you know i, I mean obviously i've watched classical guitar players and cast from brazil play stuff that you know it's you're playing bass lines and comping at the same time but you do it in a way that's so interesting and you're right from the drum perspective like you are such a i mean you and i both but you are just such a rhythm section consummate just 
in embodiment and it's oh, just thanks, it's man. so cool man talk to me about where you think groove come from comes from and how groove and pocket are related cuz that seems to be an elusive thing that some people we i know we've had conversations about this so i just want to hear you ruminate on this for a second sure i mean you know, I guess I'm old enough and lucky enough to have played with a lot of, I guess, people, you know, drummers and instrument instrumentalists, you would call OGs, you know. I was lucky enough to be in my 20s when Mike Clark was in the Bay Area a lot, yeah. and I played so many gigs with him. Um, and, you know, we he, he really schooled the living F out of me, you yeah. know. And so... How do you play a shuffle? How do you deal with a shuffle? How many shuffle feels are there? You know, and very few people can play like a, a real kind of shuffle. And then Mike Clark, all the other stuff he was playing, and then getting to play, you know, a bunch with with um, a guy named Eddie Marshall, who was in the Bay Area, who people might not know about, but was yeah. one of the great jazz drummers, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, this could just be get really elliptical, but the the fact of the matter is this stuff feel and all these things it to me is just it's it's so important and when you listen to older recordings you know you have to bear in mind that you the, the situation was different for instance you know when i was a kid i mean i'm 56 now and when i was like in my teens i was touring around california with guys who are my age now playing shuffles or mm -hmm. playing funk stuff which they didn't even really call funk it, it was just play something funky you know what i mean and you had to make people dance yeah you know so for me i feel very lucky that i saw that so i have that interrelationship you know and i think we get you know it's a continuum right so now we we have this idea of of we have especially the younger generation they have everything at their disposal in terms of digitally being able to to play along to a click record yourself look at the wave file on pro tools put it back a little bit um do all of these things so there are all of these incredible um tools that we have now that did not exist when i was coming up i mean yeah. you had a metronome and you had a guy who was 30 years older than you that literally was going to beat your ass if you played some sad ass shit on this gig you know what i mean that's kind of what we had and a few friends of mine had like an 808 drum machine or 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 an even older drum machine so you know it was very quote-unquote primitive yeah but there's something about that stuff that you have to remember it's a continuum you need all of these things you yeah. need to be able to play to that click but you also need to be able to to if you you know what Dizzy Gillespie said, if you're not with the drummer, you're wrong. Yeah, you you never second guess the drummer. The drummer is right, you know. Um, and then if there's a thing where maybe you're with the cat who's slowing down a little bit or whatever, you listen to that later, you come to a conclusion on that. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, we could, dude. You and I can go on and on about this down to like the most minute detail. So let's you know? get into it. I'm I'm fine with okay. that. I mean, I think I think cats need to know. You know, because a lot of people listening to this podcast, a lot of people growing up right now, are just playing with the loops in their bedroom, and they're not having to adjust. To a drummer or they don't have to deal with like dude we rehearsed it this way or the way that we talked about it on the last take why did you do something completely different now like what do you do like what are all these drum fills or what is all this blah 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 or being guilty of that themselves you know there's certain things that you need to learn to negotiate and navigate in a rhythm section in a band that i think some people some of that is lost on the bedroom producer and and the person that's just recording only themselves into their computer, which I know I can be guilty of sometimes. But of course, you know, I have a live band that I'm playing with all the time. Sure, sure. For for those that are just playing along with their computer, what are the things that they really need to know to improve their time feel and to improve the overall general feeling of pocket and groove? Oh, man, that's a that's a great question, you know. I think it comes down to to, to even a larger um, kind of an aspect or perspective. And that's, you know, for the younger generation, it, music is a different connotation for them. 
They have everything at their fingertips. Um, you know, stuff like when I was a kid and Berkeley was a real guitar environment, right? Mm -hmm. But we still like, for instance, my friend Jay Lane, who he was, he could play the drum beat to seven, 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 93, 11, like literally yeah. two days after it came out, he played that beat and, and it was, and he lived in San Francisco. And I remember all of us were like, okay, there's like five of us. We're going to get on the BART train and go all the way to San Francisco because there's this guy that can play the beat to seven, 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 93, 11. Yeah. Like that's so it's so it literally, we spent literally 12 hours going <laughs> to hear him do that. Right. Whereas now you're like, you know, well, you just go on YouTube and you have it in a few seconds, but what that ends up doing is it puts this, it, it also, the idea being, well, you have access to everything. So guitar player, you have to play like Corey Wong. You have to play like somebody like me. You have to be able to shred. You have to be able to play uh, quartet stuff like Isaiah. You have to do all this and you have to do it super, super clean and everything needs to be perfect. And you need to play in odd time signatures and you need to know how to play Moroccan music and, you, you know, all this stuff. And so what ends up happening is it's impossible for them to, to, to do that. So what ends up happening is you get a lot of real stressed out people who are kind of what my, kind of my mentor, Bobby Previtt calls a mile wide and an inch deep, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to in, in, in my era where you kind of had a lane and you figured out what your affinity was, you sought out the elders that would, you would get that juice from, and you kind of you know, I think I'm an inch wide and a mile deep, you know, my, my wheelhouse is what it is, you know what I mean? But I feel like if, if you call me, I'm going to bring a, a known quantity, hopefully, if it's a good day, and it's going to be on a certain deep level. So I would say for them to achieve that, you know, you got to be in situations that are culturally, especially culturally really uncomfortable, potentially uncomfortable, which I think is a necessity. And go out on the street and play. Go out and play with some real wild people you would not think to play with. Go negotiate these really intensely, quote unquote, foreign cultural things. You know, I mean, when I was a street musician in Europe, I was lucky because I ended up hanging out with all these African guys and guys from the Caribbean, French Caribbean, and I I was ass. I sucked at that music. I was a total millstone around their necks. But eventually I learned. I got some feels together and and I wasn't a problem anymore. I know it's I'm being elliptical about this stuff, but it's just, you know, if if you can find people who you feel are better than you, and preferably not in a school setting. Yeah. Find whoever it is that can really play the blues in your town. Really play it. Not like corporate kind of loud, you know, <laughs> but that really can really have that narrative. Yeah. If there's someone from Brazil or whatever in your town that can really play like a, a real samba, find that person and, and, and get that, you know? Yeah. What do you think the biggest thing is that you learned from busking? Because you've talked about just getting out there and doing it. You've talked about finding people to play with, but you were probably out there. I'm imagining you hours and hours at a time having to figure out how to take up that space, how to not be bored yourself, how to entertain and get people interested in what you're doing as they're walking by. I'm just so curious, what is the main thing that you learned from your time busking all those years? Man, that is, that's actually a really great question. And you know what the, the deal is? So I went out there and I'm like, okay, I got my guitar. I have a little mouse amplifier. This is like 1987. Really? And yeah. Oh yeah, man. I went, I had a homie that went to Berkeley high school who was from Paris. And he said, look, we got, my sister has a tiny apartment where you can stay in for a month and then you're on your own. And that month came really fast. <laughs> yeah, I would guess. And, and so then I figured it out. Uh, you know, you get with all these people, but you know, I was out there with my guitar alone playing what I thought was really great ish. You know, I'm like, Woo! two people would stop. Almost nobody would stop. And then these guys came up and they're like, man, you know, that's not how you busk. Like come if you want. And I did that in Paris for like, I don't know, 
six months and I was playing on the trains too. And the trains is rough, you know, um, getting on the trains and playing, nobody wants you there. You're just trying to play all your stuff. And you know what I made, I did out. Okay. But they're like, they realize, okay, this kid is good. Like he can play physically, but he doesn't know what he's doing. So these cats were like, look, meet us tomorrow at Gal, uh, at, at like Gal de l'Est. And we're going to go to, uh, to Zurich, Switzerland and show you how to make some money. And I was like, <laughs> okay, all right. So I met these guys and they're like, but you're not playing guitar because we need an acoustic bass player. So we'll get the bass when we get there, you know? And what these cats taught me was, look, we're going to be out here 12 hours a day. We're not going to play the whole 12 hours, but we're out here 12 hours a day. And if you want to make money, number one, vocals, <laughs> you have to sing. You're, you're literally the amount of crowd you will get will go up 10 times. Mm -hmm. You have to have some type of show, some dance moves or something to get people to stop, whatever it is. Um, and yeah, you got to be able to play, um, decently and you got to have a really killer set, you know, and, and then, and they, these cats were good, man. I mean, these are still some of my friends to this day. And these, these are some, these cats could, could play, yeah. um, from all over the world. One of the cats was a, a Roma guy. Um, another guy, you know, just killer musicians and, um, they beat the heck out of me and I, and I didn't even play acoustic bass yeah. and I was like, Oh man, we got this plywood bass with like action like that. And, and I'm learning all these songs and I have, my fingers are like taped up so thick, yeah. you know, and finally I, I start to learn how to play in tune and sing like singing background vocals, you yeah. know? And then when you had to pick up the bass and run from the police, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So you're out there every day, all the time. And then they'd be like, okay, if you want to play your guitar stuff, you should probably just go do that under the bridge alone. Cause no one's going to stop for that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of what I learned, I guess. Do you feel like many of those principles apply to you today in what you're doing? I think so. I mean, honestly, the one thing, uh, and eventually I did play guitar, yeah. um, uh, you know, but, uh, the, the thing that really I feel was a godsend about that experience was it made you tough, mm. like old school tough mm -hmm. as a musician. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. I mean, I have deficiencies in my playing in terms of like my reading is like, eh, you know, certain things are like, okay, but man, I would not trade those like three, four years of being a street musician for anything. That was like, that was like boot camp. You waking up at nine in the morning and you, you get to bed at, at, you know, midnight or whatever it is. And you literally have been playing all day long. So anyway, it's, it, I think that that's it. But, you know, I, I also feel bad for the kids because I don't think that that's a, a viable thing anymore. I think that culture doesn't really exist. That's where I was kind of going to go with this. I'm trying to figure out, you're a, a little older than I am, and I am older than some of the people that I play with now. But it's interesting to see, I hate feeling like, oh, man, I'm just like 10 years older, this person, and we're so disconnected in the way we approach, like, do you not yeah. have hustle? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. There's certain things people are complaining about on the road where I'm like, dude, you weren't with us in the van, man. Right, we drove my right. Toyota Sienna around the country and set up everything yeah. ourselves. Six of us in one hotel room. And, you know, there's certain certain yep. things, you know, there's certain ways that we grind it out. You grinded it out in a way that's different. And I mean, obviously some people my age grinded it out harder than you did. And, you know, there's, there's some of that. And there's sure. a lot of people now that are, that are really, really putting in some some tough work. But it is interesting seeing people with different backgrounds or different levels of hustle they've had to do to make it work. And I don't want to I don't want to put you in a position where you're old man yelling at the clouds, but do you see <laughs> do you see something different in the way that music is presented and what seems viable these days compared to when you were growing up? You know, I, I see it as kind of it runs parallel to the overall, sadly, it runs parallel to the overall arc of, I guess, what you would call kind of late stage capitalism and extreme income inequality. I mean, in my day, you had these gatekeepers, you know, record companies like Blue Note or whatever folks were on. And, you know, it was not by any, 
you know, stretching the imagination of perfect situation, but there was a lot of room for wild cards, a mm. lot of room. Um, and I think that that only made the overall narrative and the overall kind of stew way tastier and way more, have a lot more depth to it. I think it's a problem when you have a situation where the, and not to say folks don't have a hustle, all these people, you still have to hustle. Yeah. It's, but, it just looks different. Yes. Yeah. But when you have the majority of the people who are essentially getting the vast majority of the bandwidth come from one specific social class um, with generally people who have culturally, economically, they have access not just to the means of production and distribution, as old Marx would say, but also cultural access sure. to that. There's a big thing. I mean, you know, I, you know, I mean, just, I grew up with a single mom. I mean, she did come from Westchester County. She, you know, her dad was a, a lawyer, but when, where we grew up, we didn't have any access to that. We were just street kids, like literally street kids. We lived on a school bus. We lived in the woods. You know, we, we hand to mouth, we were on welfare, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. And you really have to, it's a different thing. And, and, you know, and it's just like, like Stephen Bernstein, there was this camp called Casadero Music Camp when I was growing up. And everyone was like, how come you weren't at the music camp? And I would say, oh, I had a job or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, I didn't have anyone to show me how to fill out the form to yeah. go to the music camp. And so yeah. basically, the thing that really um, worries me is that you have all these incredible musicians. And I don't want to take anything away from anyone. Because look, even if you come from that background, it's still a hustle. You know, mm -hmm. the margins are so small that yeah. it's still a hustle. But the thing that really worries me is so many people are being left behind that could make such incredible contributions and could lift the whole thing up yeah. to, to a much higher, deeper, and, 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 and broader way um, culturally. And so you know the thing that that you know you you have this limited bandwidth of of social media and who whoever can can do that better is going to be the person that's going to have their music reach the widest audience sure so it's not unlike what is happening in the severe income inequality in america and the world as a whole and if you look at big cities i mean i'll just wrap it up with this if you look at big cities new york uh where i grew up in the bay area it's so extreme that the only people who can really pursue anything are the ones who have the resources. And mm -hmm. sadly, the ones who have the resources, even if they don't want to hoard resources, the whole system is built with such a zero-sum game, winner-takes-all um, ethos that it's almost impossible for them to do anything other than exist in that plane sure and then so what you get is you get this whole cycle where um the cream doesn't always rise to the top you mm. know um and i feel like that's problematic just for the music in general it's like having a a mono crop like everyone grows exactly the same corn and then the locusts come and then <laughs> well, what are we going to eat now yeah well you mentioned different cities new york i'm from minneapolis Shout out to 779311 there. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're from the Bay Area, you know, so we've yep. we've just flown across the country. So in Berkeley, California, the whole Bay Area, San Francisco, all that for the people that are not from the US. That that kind of Oakland. Whole, Oakland. Yeah. You know, there's a sound and there's a feel there. You take a look at Tower of Power. You take a look at I mean, what's actually interesting is across a lot of genres. You see Green Day, Rancid, Metallica, Charlie Hunter, Tower of Power. There's a lot. I mean, Mike the Headhunters. Yeah, the Headhunters. Fly like Stone. Yeah, there's so much that's come from that area. There is a thing. There is a through line through all of those artists if you look for it. But in the type of music that you make and in what you do, what do you think it is that makes up the Bay Area sound? How do you define it? How do you think it's different than other cities? You know, that's a great question. And I, and I would say was different because no offense, but like we were just talking about that severe income inequality, that's 
one of the things that will wipe out a grassroots art and music culture, which totally. I feel like it successfully did, sadly to say, in the Bay Area. And I would I would say in the seventies, which is when, you know, we I was like lived the hippie kind of lefty hippie lifestyle. We lived on a school bus and communes and all that. And eventually we ended up in in Berkeley in in like 75, I think. Um and I would say from growing up there Berkeley and and Oakland as well. Um, But, you know, I can speak more to the Berkeley thing. Berkeley was 20 years before anyone was calling something multicultural. Berkeley actually was. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the first places to, you know, it it has first in a lot of social justice stuff 20 years before anyone else was doing it. The fact that, you know, the Kaiser uh, shipyards, all these uh, black folks from Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, lots of Mexican-Americans, Chinese-Americans, and and Okies, too, all ended up working for Kaiser in World War II and after World War II, um, which produced, you know, ships. And then they went on to produce. This is a massive place where there was no Jim Crow tolerated there. Mm. So, you know, it didn't mean everyone liked everybody, but you you at least started with a baseline. Mm-hmm. And um and it created all of these in my opinion beautiful everyone could contribute, you know, sure. if they wanted to. And then the other part of it was Berkeley itself was the spot where if you were basically uh, a problem for mainstream America, you went to Berkeley. Mm. If you were in a quote unquote mixed marriage, you went to Berkeley. If, if you happen to be gay you, and you wanted to be with the person you wanted to be with, you went to Berkeley. Mm. Um, if you were a real left winger, you went to Berkeley, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, growing up in Berkeley High, and you can ask Dave Ellis or uh, Josh Redman, any, any of us that the digital underground people, you grow up in that area, it's everything, it, it, everyone can contribute. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and nobody is the boss. Nobody is like this. So so you're like, I need you. I need you on my team. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I feel like what came out of that was you can have, like you were just saying, that's how you'll have a band like Green Day going to the same high school uh as me and and Dave Ellis yeah. he, and Josh Redman wow. and the Digital Underground and Too Short who was an Oakland guy was at Berkeley High all the time. Wow. Uh my friend and your friend um Alex Golnick who was in Testament yeah. went to my high school. Everybody and that's why when you see Alex's social media they think oh he's just some heavy metal guy and Alex is a great guitar player whatever style and he'll clap back on some political stuff and these guys are like what <laughs> did he just stand up for Black Lives Matter what you know it's like that's right because we're Berkeley people yeah. Oakland people and that's where we come from so you know bro I mean and like Sproul Plaza in Berkeley was like the campus where they'd have these free concerts every Friday. And I remember being a kid and just going up there, oh, wait, who's this app? This guy, Fela, playing right now for free. Yeah. I was like, oh, what's this band called? The Talking Heads. This is Los Lobos? Oh, wait, this is Los Muñequitos de Matanzas? What does that even mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you go into the park across the street from my high school and Tower of Power is playing, you know? Yeah. I always tell my friends, Corey, you know, Corey Fonville and DJ Harrison and those guys and yeah. Butcher Brown, they always laugh at me because I'll just bring up all this stuff randomly. But we were talking the other day and I remember being in like fourth grade and this band called Snake Pit came to my school and just played outside in the playground. And they were like dead on the headhunters. It was that that was the vibe. So it's like you're growing up around all of this music. Yeah. Um, you're growing up around all of this political and cultural consciousness. And and that was the beautiful thing about it. And the thing that just makes me so sad is that, you know, we've all been kind of cast like a some type of cultural diaspora where almost none of us can, can be there anymore. So it's all sure. dispersed throughout the the country and the world you know sorry that was super long no that's no that's great because i mean i'm thinking about it. it's like there are so many great online communities that mm. in some way resemble that but there isn't the in-person human connection you can't you can't like when if any of my friends came over to my grandparents house my grandparents house smelled different 
because there was just Chinese food being cooked in the house all the time. Word. So it's like, or my friend Trong, is, who's, his family's from Vietnam. It's like, oh yeah, his, his, the Vietnamese food smells different than Chinese food. And that's just what's in the house. Like the houses smell different. The, the background, like uh, the way the accents of the, your friends and your friends' parents are different. Amen. So it's like the, you don't get those things with the online communities where there's pieces of it that exist now. And I think some people would defend saying, oh, yeah, but there's certain things better than ever. In some ways, I would agree. But there's mm, su- there's mm. stuff that's the deeper thing of that where it's like, oh, did you did you guys have dinner over at Trung's house? Dude, I have never had pho in my life. That was amazing. At like second right. grade, you know, where it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, so you don't. You don't get the same thing with online communities. And I think as far as musicians, there's so much that is at our fingertips now, which is amazing. And you see these people that that are just 10 years old and incredible. And and hopefully they don't burn yeah. out and hopefully they they stick with it and 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 add some depth in their own voice to things. But there is something about just living in a thing and being in something that's recognizable. And I in some ways you know, for me, I feel like so much of my thing is is because I'm from Minneapolis and the people yep. that I grew up around and the way that we were taught, the way that we feel time. And mm-hmm. the online Minneapolis music community Reddit is not going to be able to give me the same information right. or experience <laughs> as actually being being in the cut. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's so much of this music thing is visceral. And, and I think we're wired for this kind of transmission, this visceral human to human transmission going back from when, you know, we were just a small tribe in the Kalahari and there was one guy that was just so much better at playing, you know, whatever instrument he had devised than anyone else. And then his son or daughter became sadly, mostly sons, you know, became that person ultimately who, you know, is the griot and you transmit all of this this information. Um, and, and I mean, there's just, as you know, that we don't want to get into like a musicology thing, but there's just so many avenues of that. And especially in the guitar thing, I feel really lucky. I'm sure you do too, that you learn from people who learn from people who learn from people. Yeah. And the way that that is transmitted is just so visceral and it, I just don't think that there, I mean, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of, um, positive things in a music school environment. I mean, I, I need to be honest. I just went to community college for a few minutes, you know, sure. but, um, the majority of my music learning has been, I guess, street level, you would say, yeah. you know, on the job training. Um, but Hey man, it, if I could find a book or find some way I did it that way too, but you're absolutely right. It's that visceral transmission. Did you speaking of Bay Area senseis and and having a a guiding light in a place? Did you ever study with Satriani? Oh, dude, yeah, of course. You know, um, my mom was a guitar repair person. Um, there were two guitar stores. One is Subway Guitars. I don't know if you've been there. Um, have you been to, to, to Berkeley, like the Subway yeah. Guitars? Yeah. Okay, so so like Fat Dog. That dude, I basically grew up in that guitar store. Okay. And then there was another one a few, like a half a mile away called Secondhand Guitars. And that was, it was called Secondhand, yeah. but that was the more modern shop. Yep. And and Joe taught in a tiny room in back and there were no windows and it was just a little room. And, um, you know, I had a single mom. I was becoming very problematic as a teenager. And, um but I played, you know, and so she was like, all right, I'm going to kick your ass. you got to go study with this dude who can really play. So when I was 15, she took me in there and Joe was only 25. But of course, we looked at him as like, oh, he's the man. And the thing to remember about Berkeley is, you know, I always people are like always I tell them I studied with Joe Satriani and they always like give me a kind of a side eye. I'm like, no, I said, really? Everybody in Berkeley studied with Satriani. You go in there. Really? And I remember my friend DeMarco, who's this church guy, would come out of there. Uh, These heavy metal guys I didn't even know would come out of there. Older dudes, younger dudes, everybody studied with Joe. Because, again, in that typical Bay Area, East Bay thing, it didn't matter. If you had something of value, Mm. it would transcend whatever little prejudices the world wants to put on it and that was a beautiful thing about it so you know and i remember i showed up there when i was like 15 
And I saw this grown man come out of the room with tears in his eyes. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> it's going to be painful. <laughs> but, you know, he, he helped me out. And the thing about Joe is that people don't realize, you know, he grew up in New York. He played in salsa bands. He played in, in R&B bands. He studied with Billy Bauer and Lenny Tristano. Joe's yeah. got a deep bench. People yeah. don't understand that about him. And regardless of whether you like his uh, musical approach, um, as a teacher, he really helped a lot of us out. Yeah. He really, he really wanted us to understand the fretboard, and he really wanted us to understand how to just physically play the instrument, regardless yeah. of whatever the delivery system was. That's um, so cool. So yeah, man, and and I'm grateful to have had that experience. And my mom recently was on, she sent me one of her like one of her uh, you know expire one of the return checks, and it said it was like 1980. Joe Satriani, eight dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, man. That's so cool to so, hear about Joe because I mean he is such a great person too. Like I I play I. Uh, I was an instructor at one of his camps last year or this, earlier oh, this cool. year and just getting to hang with him and just talking with him about music and how passionate he is about other people being great and finding their thing. It's so yeah. cool. And I think, you know, it, it's a testament to Satch to see so many great guitar players with very specific sounds and iconic things come out of his dojo. Totally. He was not about trying to get you to play like him. That was the last thing he wanted in the universe. Of course, I mean, I was 15. I didn't know sure. whatever about anything, you know, and he also really saved my, my ass. I got to say, cause I was a, I was running the streets and creating all kinds of problems for myself. Sure. And that really focused, um, my energy and really set the, the table for me understanding that wow if i put the energy into this for every hour i put into this it's giving me like three hours of mm. satisfaction mm -hmm. you know and um and that got me on the on the path you know what i mean that yeah. got me on the on a good path um and i never looked back i gotta say you know and and eventually i got into like joe paths and you know like i was saying like more jazz stuff and he was like, you know, man, it's time for you to just go do your own thing now. And I was mm -hmm. like 16 or 17, probably even younger, 16. But he's like, you just need to, to go do your own thing. Yeah. Goes, but come back anytime you want to. You have a question or whatever. You know, of course, the, he kept the door open. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of course. Well, what's interesting, too, and kind of my last thing I want to get into with you is how you've continued to allow yourself to redefine what it is that people know you for. And, mm. you know, a lot of people knew you as this jazz cat. A lot of people knew you from your work with D'Angelo. A lot of people found out about you because of your work with John Mayer. A lot of people have found you through different avenues, and they have an idea of who you are and what it is that you do. But there's mm. so many different reference points in my mind, for for what Charlie Hunter is and the Charlie Hunter thing, of course, again, like talking about the Bay Area, there's there's such a through line that's very obvious. But in your most recent stuff that you've been doing, it's so cool to see. And this is this is uh, with your collaborator as well with Kurt Elling. You guys have this mm. Kurt Elling and Super Blue. You guys have this cool thing where now you're you're exploring even more territory and you're allowing what you're doing to be found in a new way, to be defined in other people's minds in a new way. What is it that draws you to continue to explore different parts of music with a capital M and parts of yourself as an artist? Oh man, that's a great question too. I mean, the thing with Kurt is, is amazing because Kurt is just one of the baddest MFs out there. And I know it from yeah. playing with him every night. The guy... I mean, I play with a lot of singers. This guy is on, he's on some other yeah. SHIT, if I can say. I mean, he's like, he's like superhuman. Some nights I'm like, man, how, how did you just sing like that for an hour and a half? Yeah. And then you eat a steak, potatoes, red wine for a half an hour break. And then we have the second show and you come back and sing exactly like that again. <laughs> like, 
how is that even humanly possible? And then the next day you do it. Like, it's like, it's like the dude gets to be 10 feet tall on stage. It's insane. Yeah. But, um, you know, the other thing is whatever you want to say, jazz, I I really don't consider myself a jazz musician. I mean, I've studied a lot of it. I've played with a lot of folks, but there are really very few jazz musicians. You know, Branford Marsalis is is a jazz musician. Yeah. I am maybe jazz adjacent, you know, but, you know, in terms of like always trying to expand, you know, I'm sure it's the same for you, for any of us that are, are dedicated to this for me it's how much i I want to be able to give whatever information i've gotten to the next people yeah um and you know doing the stuff with kurt is one way of doing that i'm not i hardly play solos at all and if i had my druthers in that band i wouldn't play any solos but kurt wants me to play a couple you know i just want to get in the cut with the drummer and just sit back and just enjoy listening to him yeah you know and and our groove together but then there's other things like recently you you may have noticed like on my instagram is mostly me playing blind blake stuff from the 20s you know and i was like man you know, I feel like I owe it to all that I have taken from black American music and the guitar in general to be like, wait a minute, there's this man that lived a hundred years ago that literally is better than any of us, Mm. in my opinion, in terms of the guitar. And what resources did he have at a time that was a horrible time for him to be alive in America? How did he play the guitar in such a way that really to me is like the baddest SHIT I've ever heard. And I was like, you know what? When I look, and I'm sure you've done the same thing. Like you look online, we do the same thing the kids do. We go on YouTube and we're like, hmm, let me go see if, if if someone figured this stuff out so I don't have to work too hard. And then I realized that nobody had really figured out what he was doing. And I felt like, man, that's a crime. So yeah. not only do I love this music, um, and not only is that music, because it was the music my mom listened to and she knew some of those folks. So mm. it kind of is a bedrock of my foundation. I was like, you know what? I want to not just for me personally and in my own selfish way, but I want to spend as much of my um, time resources trying to figure out how Blind Blake did what he did so that it's not lost. Yeah. You know what I mean? And also in a way, in like a, in a kind of like an offhanded kind of like douchey way, I want to be like, yeah, I want to, I want to be the conduit through which blind Blake 100 years later, who never got his due, can serve notice on all you backsliding slack ass MFs who think you can play guitar. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And so so I just was like, yo, man, and 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 it's kind of cold blooded and it's it's maybe it's maybe it's like an oblique way yeah, of yeah, yeah. like being being stank, you know what I mean? And really I probably wanted to come out and directly be 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 be, be an ass, but this allows me to at least obliquely be yeah. be an ass, you know. But you know stuff like that, man, and I'm sure you're the same way. Like, look, you did what you did and you're like, man, I have a plan. It's going to take time and hours and hours, and I'm going to be pushing the van up the hill. And, man, I'm going to essentially go forward with a career ex- as a rhythm guitar player. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. And you're just like, okay, this is the, the lane I'm in, and I'm going to figure out how to make this work. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I feel like we're all out here doing it and to varying degrees of of economic success, but – it, are you pushing it forward every day? I feel like I have to get up and, and I'm not lying, man. I really like this morning I got, I get up every day. I'm like, man, you know, climate change, all this other stuff be damned. Today I get to try to play guitar or my instrument, bass, music a little better. I get to talk with people about blind Blake I get to, you know, like I was talking to my friend Ella Feingold, who I think is like one of the baddest, greasiest guitar players on the planet. And she just spent like months taking apart every Motown guitar part. Yeah. Months. And and I was just like, you have to tell me. And I was on the phone with her for like two hours. Just tell me, Sensei. I want to know what, what, you know. And, and you know how it is when you get that thing, when you get that bug, it doesn't end, sure. you know. And that's the beauty of it is every day. You can wake up and be like, all right, I get another chance to not suck today. And I guarantee you, 
you look back in time. I mean, I'm going back a hundred years with Arthur Blake and I'm like, every time I listen to this man, he humbles me, literally humbles me. Like I'm literally humbled by that. And man, Corey, I don't know any other field where you can do that. Yeah. What other field do you wake up in and you're just like, this is amazing that somehow I get to be connected to, to someone that lived a hundred years ago. Yeah. You know, this is amazing. I love that, man. Your, your enthusiasm, your dedication to the craft is, is infectious. I love that. I love that about you. I mean, it's so, it's so cool. I mean, from all the times we've hung out and jammed together, it's like for, for the people listening, it's like this, Charlie's legit in, in this right now. He's not putting on a show for the podcast. Like when we hung out at Jam Cruise, it was just sitting down and talking about this. When we hung out that time where you, Eric Gales, and I were jamming for yeah. an hour, it was just talking, just talk guitar, just get in, get excited, have some fun. Oh Woo. my gosh, that was, that was a good hang. Oh, that was a really good hang. Pre-pandemic, I remember that. Yeah. Wow. That was a good one. But man, it, it's so, so great to have you on the podcast uh, it's, Dude, thanks for having me. It's yeah. an honor, for real. It's, it's I'm, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, we're we're overdue for a jam. We're overdue for a hang. We might have to put something together pretty soon. Sounds good. You let me know, man. I as long as you, as long as it just you count to four and the metronome somewhere between like seventy and one twenty, I'm good. <laughs> if you count to five, I maybe have some problems. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. I've heard you play on time. <laughs> oh man. Woo. Yeah, you see me you see me struggling. I look like a what if <laughs> I look like a guy that went in to rob a bank but didn't have anything he needed to rob the bank, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Charlie, thanks so much, man. We'll talk soon. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me, Corey. There you have it. Charlie Hunter. Dude's so great. What a total legend, man. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time. I got a really fun announcement to make on my next podcast. So don't miss the next episode. Smash that subscribe button, follow wherever it is, whatever it is, on whatever platform you're listening to. We'll see you next time. Peace.